0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. We are going to dive into God's Word this morning, Acts chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Several weeks now, the entire year of 2019, we're, we're into March, well into March now we've been talking about discovering the power of prayer. And I would say the most um, apt application is in personal prayer that we've been talking about. The the, the way our our minds think, especially in the 21st century and especially as Western believers, as we begin to talk about prayer, most naturally we first apply it personally to us just as an individual follower of Jesus, being more uh, faith-filled, and experiencing more power in our personal prayer. So this morning, I want to flip the coin to the other side of this two-sided coin in prayer, which is corporate prayer, because we need to be a people that learn to pray together. And this is a mystery of the kingdom, a principle of the kingdom, that has largely become a foreign concept to us. Because for the last 250-plus years, we have, uh, we have adopted or we've just been, we've lived and we've existed with this framework of independence and sole reliance on ourselves of freedom. And I am so thankful for the foundation of freedom and independence that we have in our country. But, but from that perspective, we have to be so discerning of our own hearts that we are first and foremost citizens of another kingdom. We're citizens of this eternal kingdom. And how does the kingdom of God then form our, our view of prayer. I would say that it's different than one of soul, just independence, reliance on ourself. Like we're all spiritual cowboys. We can just do it on our, we're gonna pave a path all on our own, individually. We need both. We need both personal prayer and corporate prayer. When I say corporate prayer, I mean anytime two or three believers gather together to link arms for a singular cause, that's corporate prayer. So sometimes it means our entire church gathering for prayer. More often than not, what it looks like is a life group of people. So our small groups. You know, 10 to 15 people gathering together in prayer. Or midweek, during, during every single week, we, we gather over the lunch hour on Wednesdays for one hour. And those that, that gather, we, get, we, we link our hearts together in unity to, to lift up one voice to Jesus. Those types of gatherings are corporate prayer. Anytime two or three believers gather together in prayer. Personal prayer and corporate prayer are both needed, but for different purposes. We have an uphill battle, and this is such a mystery for us. You know, the, the institutional, I've, I believe we live in a day and age that's a, a repercussion of, you know, the institutional church just... Um, obliterating this concept because what happened was the the clergy took all the power into their own hands. They took scripture out of the hands of the people and they made it this hierarchy. And the kingdom of God is not a hierarchy. The the kingdom of God, we all become the body of Christ. We're all priests unto God. So there was this mighty reformation that that, that unfolded over the last 500 years. It's it's begun to level a playing field. But now the pendulum swang so far to the other side that we have, we've lost any hope for any sort of institutional church. And I'm not talking about um, an institution in a super formal way. I'm saying the body of Christ being the church, capital C. That mystery of believers uniting together for a singular cause, the Great Commission. So within that that balance, within that, 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 that pendulum that we've swung so radically from one direction to the other we need to find the middle ground of both being people of personal, urgent personal prayer of intimacy with Jesus and people that learn to submit ourselves to others in the context of community linking arms and saying I believe sometimes God chooses to speak to a people together we need to discover it you're not going to hear a message like this too often because it's it's, it's difficult to try to pierce into our very individualistic um, mindset with a principle in the, book of, in, the, in the New Testament that's so community-centric. If you take a survey of the book of Acts, we're going to read from the book of Acts chapter 4 this morning. But all four of the first four chapters of the book of Acts, they all have embedded into them, necessary to the story, community prayer, corporate prayer. Acts chapter 1, the 120 that are left. You know, The resurrected Jesus appeared to over 500 people. We, we know from the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 1, we see around 120 left. The, the group has dwindled. It says they gathered together. And what did, what did they do? Did they have a potluck? Did they, they start a little country club? Create some uh, membership cards? No. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, as they continued in this atmosphere, more so like a prayer gathering than a church gathering, what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, we see it again. Peter and John, where are they going? They're going, in the hour of prayer, they're going to the temple. Because the people of God were gathering again for prayer. See, we always read these stories and we see them from an individualistic perspective, individualistic framework. Yes, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to devote, devote myself to prayer. I need, to, I need a, a filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to step out like Peter and John and pray for a lame man like Acts chapter three. But And we lose sight of the, the larger context that it's all embedded in this framework of community. People together that are locked arm in arm going after a mission. And then we find ourselves in Acts chapter four. So throughout the book of Acts, you'll see these, these glimpses of community prayer. But Acts chapter 4, you actually get to see the details of it. You get to actually peer into the, the, the beauty of this mysterious uh, experience of corporate prayer. And my hope is that every single person in this place would walk out of this place with a greater uh, hunger in their hearts to experience this level of Holy Spirit unity, which comes in the place of prayer together. If you've never experienced, I pray you leave this place with this this resolute desire to experience it for yourself in the context of community. If you have experienced it, then I pray that you leave with a greater uh, sense of responsibility that you have to steward it and to invite others into it. So Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Peter and John were just arrested for healing a lame man. I mean, I wish that's what the church got in trouble for these days but instead Peter and John were arrested for that and they reprimanded, they were threatened. Verse 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said this, which is mysterious. They together lifted up their voices and they said this one singular thing. Sovereign Lord, that is a New Testament prayer prayer gathering. And I pray that we'd experience that more and more in our day. So I want us to talk about why we need corporate prayer. Why, Why the church needs to wake up to our need to pray together. But before we do that, I want to make sure I emphasize the other side of the coin, which is personal prayer. Why is it that we need personal prayer? Because I don't ever want a person to leave this place not not also understanding the need for personal encounter with Jesus. You need both and. So this, this is why we need personal prayer. Each of us need a personal encounter for ourselves. Our prayer as a church is that every single individual would have an encounter with Jesus. There's a story that God wants to write in your life Something that not, no one else can do for you. No personal uh, family heritage or church affiliation can grant you. It's you and God in the secret place. It's a personal encounter with Jesus. And I recently saw a Barna study, 2016 Barna study, that said still in this day and age, 21st century, 74% of Americans would still categorize themselves as Christians. But in the same survey, a third of Americans are only are only a third of Americans are actually practicing their Christian faith. So Barna went out to, to actually define what they would categorize as practicing their Christian faith. Obviously, we know it's, it's more than uh, just works. But there's fruit to our faith. So there's this huge chasm, this huge disconnect between affiliation, what we would, how we categorize ourselves demographically or in a survey or politically or whatever, Versus personal experience. And so our prayer is that every single person would come to a place where they encountered Jesus for themselves. As their Lord and Savior. And come into real relationship. Number two is this. No one can do this for you. No priest, no no pastor, no parent can do this for you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says that there is only one mediator between God and man, and it is Jesus Christ. So that abuse of the church for nearly 1,500 years that took place, where the clergy took the gospel from the hands of the common people, I believe that was an affront, that is a complete offense to God, spitting in his face again. Hey, but now the good news is in your hands. We have more Bibles in our hands than in any other generation. We have no excuse than to come before Jesus, lay ourselves bare before him, and ask for a real personal revelation of who he is. No one can do that for you. Third is this. It's one of the most basic expressions of love relationship with God. Any young infant, as they they grow to learn how to communicate with the world around them and express love to their parents and others, that's through talking, through vocalizing and expressing that love to their parents. So it is in the relationship with God. You gotta get in the trenches and learn to express your heart to God in love relationship. And four is this, it keeps us from hypocrisy. So we can't be a people of only corporate prayer. I believe in Jesus' generation, the New Testament here, it was so community-centric that rarely was that place of secret prayer uh, experienced. The community, community prayer actually came most easily for them because of the, the culture in which they, were, they encountered Jesus. But personal prayer always has to be there. If we're only praying when we're around others, there's an issue. Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, when you pray, go in your room, shut the door, cry out to your father, and your father who sees you in secret, he'll reward you in secret. So we always have to have that personal place of prayer in the secret place. So why we need personal prayer, there it is. Now let's jump into why we need prayer together. I Hope you're convinced. You need personal prayer, but we also need to learn to pray together. You see right away in verse 23, Peter and John, when they were released from being arrested, where did they go? Did they go to report for duty? Or did they see themselves working a job as apostles or as pastors? No, it says in verse 23 that when they were released, they went to see their friends because I would believe number one is this. Some of our battles are not meant to be fought alone. There are some battles in this life, in the kingdom of Jesus, that we are called to fight alone. But I believe more often than not many of our battles, we're called to actually invite other people into. and Call our friends to rally around us and fight our battles alongside of us. So that is a journey with Jesus that I'm... I'm I'm saying is there, and I invite you into discerning that, that balance. There are some David versus Goliath moments where you're called, singularly, as an individual to come out and fight that battle alone. Or that moment when Jesus calls you out of the boat to walk on water. Those are those individual battles that you're called to fight. But I believe more often than not, we're called to rally with our friends and march around the walls of Jericho. More often than not, we're called to rally our friends and combat these threats that we're facing. A couple weeks ago, on a Sunday evening service, I preached from Mark chapter 2 about the paralytic that had, had such great friends that his friends were willing to take him before Jesus. He couldn't get there himself. And sometimes we need friends in our lives that are willing to go to those places that we can't go on our, on our own. I believe that we need to bring the battles for our physical. I believe it's just a kingdom principle that God wants to reveal his glory through prayer. And oftentimes that, that him revealing his glory th- through prayer happens in community when it comes to physical healing. James chapter five sets the pattern in motion. He says, when you're sick, what do you do? Fight the battle on your no, Call the elders to the church so they can come and anoint you with oil and lay their hands on you so you can rise up. That's the pattern. And we see that as well in the book of Acts. Just this last few weeks, we as a family, we've been fighting a battle in prayer for Tanya's dad. Her, her dad has been having heart issues over the last three weeks. He found himself in the hospital three weeks ago. So we, we rallied our friends to, pray, to prayer, not for sympathy, not for drama. And sometimes prayer chains can become that. It can become just, you know, I want your sympathy, I want you to feel bad for us, or... Um, we we need more crisis in our lives, but no. When we call our friends to prayer sincerely from our hearts, what we're asking for is for them to join us in faith for nothing less than a miracle in her dad's life. So three weeks ago, they went in. They went in with a scope, and they were going to go in and do an operation on his heart because he had a, 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 uh, his aorta was swollen. They got in there, and there was nothing wrong. They said everything's normal. They sewed him up and they sent him off. They released him. Well, three weeks went by and then he found himself back in the hospital. His heart was surrounded with with fluid and his lungs were filling with fluid and his stomach was filling with fluid. He gained all this weight from all this excess fluid that his body had been building up. So what did we do? We again gathered the church to pray, our friends to pray, asking, would you join us in faith for a miracle in her dad's life? And again, things turned around and he was released a few days later. That's what we're called to do. We're called to fight our battles together. Two is this. God wants to give us clarity of vision. This is that mysterious verse in verse 24 that I referenced, or that I stopped and just um, wondered about. They lifted their voices together. So think of, at this point the church had grown to thousands of people, but I, so I'm assuming at this point there had to be at least a few people gathering and they lifted their voices together and somehow, I believe most of us have never experienced this, but somehow in that seemingly like disorder or chaos, one prayer uh, immersed, I mean, uh, it came out of that, somehow. They lifted their voices to God and they said this one thing, sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And the prayer goes on. How did that one prayer emerge out of all of them lifting their hearts to God, out of all of them lifting up their voices to God? I pray that we experience that for ourselves. That's that clarity of vision. They together caught a glimpse of who Jesus was and what he wanted to do in that moment. True Christian unity is something altogether other than we can find on this earth. It's birth of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit just comes in and it allows his presence to be felt in a, in, a, in a group, in a gathering of people. And something emerges that's so beautiful, that has such clarity, that has such urgency, in it, such passion. Everyone's convinced of it. And that's what happened here in verse 24. That's why as a church, we're contending for unity, but it's not a unity that's going to come out of a workshop or us just doing, doing some extra events on the weekends. We've been giving time for, for more prayer. That's why we've, Paige McGovern, our worship director, she started this midweek prayer gathering over the lunch hour on Wednesdays. We know it's not the most ideal time for a lot of people in our church. That's not why we started. We just felt like we need to start giving more time to prayer together. So two years ago, she started that, and she's just been faithful and And it's so cool to see how God, out of those times of prayer, brings one unified voice. Two years ago, we started every single Sunday morning from 9.15 to 9.30, so only 15 minutes. All the volunteers that serve, the 30 to 40 volunteers that serve on our Sunday mornings, we gather for prayer, to unite our hearts in prayer for one thing, for God to move in in, in our morning gatherings. Uniting our hearts in prayer doesn't always have to be Waiting on the Lord for hours and hours and hours. Our team prayer is only 15 minutes. But it's been so transformational for our church. Instead of people wandering in at 9, 9.50 or 9.55 ready to serve, now they're coming and they're preparing their hearts. From 9.15 to 9.30 and preparing their hearts for God to move in our midst. And so I'll take it beyond. I was reminded of a story, a story I read many years ago from a book, a book called uh, Visions Beyond the Veil. This is a book written by a missionary in the early 1900s named H.A. Baker. He was humbly um, in um, obscurity. No one know, knew who he was. He was serving the Lord in a remote, uh, remote province in China, serving uh, orphans, street kids. They started a rescue mission. It was there in that context that God showed up and united these former gang members and peddlers and beggars into mighty men and women of God. That's who they were. These kids ranged in age from six to eighteen, and in, at this rescue mission, they'd preach the gospel. They would also hold hours of prayer, an hour of prayer, and then they'd also have an evening prayer gathering as well. And you could imagine trying to gather. Former gang members and, I mean, these kids have, no, have had no order or structure in their lives and gathering them for prayer. It was quite the chore until God showed up. So I just want to read you briefly this account. Track, track along with me. Because this is what I believe. If God can do it amongst orphans, God can, you know, uneducated orphans that he then changes the world with, God can do it with us. It says, morning prayer meeting that morning was lasting longer than usual. The older children left the room one by one to begin their studies in the schoolroom, while a few of the smaller boys remained on their knees praying earnestly. The Lord was near. We all felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Some who had gone out returned to the room. This meeting went on hour after hour. The children showing no desire to leave. I had nothing to do or to say. The Lord seemed to have complete control. I just just tried to keep out of his way. As the children in vision saw the awfulness of hell, the anguish of lost souls, and the indescribable hellish power of the devil and his angels, their agonized crying was beyond anything I had ever heard or imagined. It was all real to them. Many saw themselves bound and dragged to the very brink of hell, which to them was no myth, but an awful reality. Condemnation for sins and the power of the devil over them was terrorizing in its reality. But freedom from this evil power through the grace of the Lord Jesus was just as real. And when they experienced this loosening power from the clutch of the evil one, their salvation was as real as had ever been their condemnation. And their joy and their laughter and their peace of soul and the knowledge of what had been saved or what they had been saved from gave them an experience from which I am sure they will never be able to depart. And that happened in the place of prayer. These young people, uneducated, they had nothing to show of their lives or in this world. They have an encounter, a united encounter with Jesus, with the realities of hell and judgment, and the realities of God's grace then in light of that. And they were never the same. Many of those men and women left that, that rescue mission and went on to do amazing exploits for the kingdom of Jesus because of an encounter with Jesus in the place of prayer. We think in our Western way, let's, held, let's hold a better service, hold better worship, got to get better teachers. We see in the book of Acts, their response was, we need to be united in prayer. We need, we need our hearts to come into a place and the Holy Spirit to meet us in that place. We need clarity of vision from the place of prayer. That's what God wants to do for us as a church. Number three is this, God wants to ground us in his will. You see, that's what came, the prayer that came out of, this, uh, out of this prayer gathering, first and foremost, was grounding the church in his will. As, they, the, as you notice, their prayer went to, God, you're sovereign. Your, your will is sovereign over all. And it was through your servant David that you declared who the Messiah was. And they talked about how then Jesus was crucified. They were like putting, putting themselves in the context of God's redemptive story. You see, easily, very easily, the response of the early church in this moment was, would be, okay, we need, to, we need to build bigger walls. We need to hunker down. We need to be a more defined commune. We need to shut ourselves off from the world. We need to go into protection mode. That is all of our natural response to any sort of threats or uh, persecution. But instead, when they devoted themselves to pray, when they humbled themselves to actually say, we're actually gonna pray about this, instead of just going with our natural intuition, we're going to pray about this. God grounded them in his will. That, oh, God's still writing a redemptive story. And Jesus came and he he gave his life for these ones that are persecuting us. Oh, there's still a mission that's unfinished. And God wants to do that for us. You know, our human will does not, our, our human will is naturally against the will of God. Our humanity, our flesh, is against the will of God, and so it's in the place of prayer that God just anoints us to be grounded then in his will, in the knowledge of his will. A favorite passage in that line is Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. This is Paul's prayer, and he prayed prayers like this for many of the churches. But the church in Colossae, he prayed this, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. His prayer was that they would be grounded in the will of God. Not in their human will, not in their natural bent, but instead grounded in the will of God. And that's what prayer does for us when we submit ourselves to the place of prayer together as a community. What would happen? What would happen for us as a church if instead of just giving ourselves to more brainstorming and thinking about how we can take the city for Jesus, we submitted ourselves to the place of prayer and God grounded us in his will and all of a sudden we're, allowed, we're able to zoom out and see the greater redemptive story that God's trying to write and how Ames wants to, God wants Ames to be a part of it. That'd be amazing. Four is this. There are promises for the church we are called to contend for. So as God grounds them in his will, they come out of, out of that, that burning conviction that they are in the center of God's will with this bold prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I want to ask you the question. What would it look like if we as a church prayed that prayer? God, give us boldness to proclaim your word in this city. And God, I pray that signs and wonders would follow us. That we would actually be able to perform signs and wonders, the miraculous healing in our city. More often than not, we don't have the faith to pray those prayers. Because we haven't given ourselves to the place of prayer together. So I'm not not saying we need to muster something up. I'm saying if we give ourselves to the place of prayer together, we begin locking arms together in groups of twos and threes. 10, 15, sometimes we'll gather the whole church. We lock our arms together. God's going to download upon our hearts such a conviction and a faith that this is going to be our resounding prayer. It's God, give us boldness. We want to leave this place with more boldness than we walked in with We want signs and wonders to follow. We know that's the promise you've called us to contend for in our city. God has called LifePoint to contend for certain promises. I just pray that we give him the time to hear it, hear those promises. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is another apostolic prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that you have eyes, or the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the, work, or to, to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him, as, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God has called the church to represent him well, to be the fullness of, of who he is in this city. He's called us to contend for that. And number five is this. God wants to pour out his spirit for mission. They prayed that bold response, real, Holy Spirit-led and Holy spirit kissed prayer gatherings had this ebb and flow. We come to God with a petition. He gives us a conviction and a boldness and faith to respond and then he responds again. And, and here at the end of this prayer gathering, it says the room was shaken. I don't know what that means. They were gathered together and the room was shaken. I pray that we stop reading over these these beautiful descriptions about the early church. And we began saying, God, in our generation, and in our day, would you do it again? Instead of just reading on and moving on as though it was a description of something that happened many years ago that will never happen again, instead saying, God, pour out your spirit again like you did in the book of Acts. As I look back over my own story in Jesus, Time and time, I, time and time again, I realize, I've realized that more often than not, when God pours out His spirit in my life to fill me for mission, that's why, that's why we're, we're given the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one said, "Jesus said, "Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. He wants to equip us for mission. He wants to equip us to reach our city. So we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit not just to make us feel goosebumps or to feel blessed. And he didn't shake the room just to give them a, uh, a cool effects show. He, he shook the room to empower them for mission. And God wants to do that again. He wants to do that in our day. And I found in my own life that more often than not, those shakings, those fillings, those fresh baptisms in the Holy Spirit have come not in worship services like this, like church services, but instead have come in prayer gatherings. Or more like gatherings like we do on Sunday night where we're just literally waiting on the Lord where we have little to no agenda. There's maybe one cry in our heart, one petition, but more often than not, we're waiting upon the Lord. We're contending. We're, we're saying, God, move. Shake us. Wake us up. Fill us again. And it's in those prayer gatherings that God time and time again has filled me and compelled me to move forward in the missions and the callings that God has placed upon my life. And that should be the norm, norm for, our, for our church. And we as a church, you know, we have this firm conviction that we're a church that's called to live the message of Jesus. That means we're not just a Sunday morning church. We're a seven-day-a-week church. More and more, we need to discover what that means. And that means we can't just ride off of a, a Sunday morning worship service. We need to begin to lock arms together. We need to begin to do life together and say we're gonna contend for a fresh filling today, that God would empower each one of us to live out his mission and his calling in our context and our spheres of influence in this city. That's when a church begins to turn a town upside down, like we read about in the book of Acts. Those are the accusations that were brought against the early church. Who are these ones, these uneducated ones that are turning the world upside down? God wants to pour out his spirit on his church. For mission. And he does that in prayer gatherings. If everyone would stand in this place, I want to end with a, a, a declaration as a church family. I'm going to give an opportunity for those in this place who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond, to surrender your life to Christ if you're here in this place and you'd say, Drew, I'm not right with God or I don't have a relationship with Jesus and this morning you want it to be your morning, you want this morning to be the morning, you say, yeah, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I want a relationship with him. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. But we're also, as a church, we're gonna pray this prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Maybe you've heard this prayer. It says, if my people who are called By my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's God's response to a group of people humbling themselves in prayer. And you've got to maybe wonder if that promise is for us today. Well, the the context of this promise is as a blessing to, to Solomon establishing the temple. So God establishes his presence. And when God establishes his presence and his people respond and devote themselves to prayer, God responds in this way again. It's that back and forth. And can I tell you, the presence of God has been established because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The veil has been torn. The temple is you. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so as a response to you being established as the temple of God, if you then devote yourself back to him and say, okay, God, I want to pray this prayer. I want to I humble myself and seek, my, or seek your face and turn from my wicked ways. Then you can, get, you can guarantee that he's going to hear your prayer. He's going to hear you from heaven. He's going to heal, heal, heal our land. So Lord, right now we can lift our hands across this place. Right now as a church, we declare that we are humbling ourselves. We're turning back to you. We're repenting, Lord, from our short-sighted independence, our self-reliance of us trying to do it on our own, trying to be spiritual cowboys, of clinging to our autonomy. Instead, God, we submit ourselves to the kingdom way, which is locking arms with others. You said, if my people, and so we as your people We hear that we're called by your name. We're humbling ourselves, we're turning from our wicked ways. We know that you're gonna hear us from heaven. You're gonna pour out your Holy Spirit on us. You're gonna heal our land. You're gonna heal our city. You're gonna move in our city. You're gonna bring in the lost ones. You're gonna heal broken hearts, heal broken families, restore minds we believe it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about Life Point Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.